Chapter Eight of The Jewels of Aptor by Samuel R. Delaney. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Reading by Matt Perard. Chapter Eight. The pale woman with the tiny eyes rose from over him. Her hair dropped like white silk threads over her shoulders. You are awake? she asked. Do you understand me? Am I at, at Hama's temple? he asked, the remnants of the dream still blowing in at the edges of his mind, like shredding cloth. My friends, where are they? The woman laughed. Oh, your friends are all right. You came out the worst. Another laugh. You ask if this is Hama's temple, but you can see, can you not? You have eyes. Don't you recognize the color of the white goddess Argo? Gia looked around the room. It was white marble, and there was no direct source of light. The walls simply glowed. My friends, Gia said again. They are fine. We were able to completely restore their flesh to health. They must have exposed their hands to the direct beam of the radiation for only a few seconds, but the whole first half of your arm had apparently lain in the deadly rays for some minutes. You were not as lucky as they. Another thought rushed Geo's mind now. The jewels, he started to say, but instead of sounding the words, he reached to his throat with both hands. One fell on his naked chest, and there was something very wrong with the other. He sat up in the bed quickly and looked down. My arm, he said, swathed in white bandages. The limb ended some foot and a half short of where it should have. My arm, he asked again, with the child's bewilderment. What happened to my arm? I tried to tell you, the woman said softly. We had to amputate half of your arm. If we had not, you would have died. My arm, Geo said again, and lay back in the bed. It is difficult, the woman said. It is only a little consolation, I know. But we are blind here. What burned your arm away took our sight from us when it was much stronger generations ago. We learned how to battle many of its effects, and had we not rescued you from the river, all of you would have died. You are men who know the religion of Argo and adhere to it. This another of your party has told us. Be thankful, then, that you have come under the wing of the Mother Goddess again for this is a hostile country she paused do you wish to talk geo shook his head i hear the sheets rustle the woman said smiling which means you either shook or nodded your head i know from my study of the old customs that one means yes and the other no but you must have patience with us who cannot see we are not used to your people. 
Do you wish to talk? She repeated. Oh, said Gia. No, no, I don't. Very well, the woman said. She rose, still smiling. I will return later. She walked to a wall in which a door slipped open, and then it closed again behind her. He lay still on the bed for a long time. Then he turned over on his stomach. Once he brought the stump under his chest and held the clean bandages in his other hand. Very quickly he let go and stretched the limb sideways as far as possible away from him. That didn't work either, so he moved it back down to his side and let it lay by him under the white sheet. After a long while, he got up, sat on the edge of the bed, and looked around the room. It was completely bare, with neither windows nor visible doors. He went to the spot through which she had exited, but could find not seam or crack. His tunic, he saw, had been washed, pressed, and laid on the foot of the bed. He slipped it over his head, fumbling with only one arm. Getting the belt together started out to be a problem, but he hooked the buckle around one finger and maneuvered the strap through with the other. He adjusted his leather purse, now empty, on his side. Then he saw that the sword was gone. An unreal feeling, white like the walls of the room, was beginning to fill him up like a pale mixture of milk and water. He walked around the edge of the room once more, looking for some break. There was a sound behind him, and the tiny-eyed woman in her white robe stood in a triangular doorway. "'You're dressed,' she smiled. "'Good. Are you too tired to come with me? You will eat and see your friends, if you feel well enough. Or I can have the food brought.' "'I'll come,' Geo said. She turned, and he followed her into a hall of the same luminous substance. Her heels touched the back of her white robe with each step, but she was silent. His own bare feet on the coal stones seemed louder than those of the blind woman before him. Suddenly he was in a larger room with benches. It was a chapel, obviously of Argo, because of the altar at the far end but its detail was strange. Everything was arranged with the white simplicity that one would expect of a people to whom visual adornment meant nothing. He sat down on a bench as the woman said, Wait here. She disappeared down another hall. Suddenly the woman returned from the other hallway, followed by Snake. Geo and the four-armed boy looked at each other, silently as the woman disappeared again a wish like a living thing suddenly writhed into a knot in geo's stomach that the boy would say something he himself could not again she returned this time with urson the big man slapped into the chapel saw geo and exclaimed friend what happened he came to him quickly and placed his warm hands on geo's shoulders what he began and shook his head geo grinned suddenly and patted his stump with his good hand 
I guess Jelly Belly got something from me after all. Urson held his own forearm next to Geo's and compared them. There was paleness in both. I guess none of us got out completely all right. I woke up once while they were taking the scabs off. It was pretty bad, and I went to sleep. Again, fast. Yimmy came in now. Well, I was wondering. He stopped and let out a low whistle. I guess it really got you, brother. His own arms looked as though they had been dipped in bleach up to the mid-forearms. How did this happen? Urson asked. When we were back doing our tightrope act on those damn girders, explained Yimmy, our bodies were in the shadow of the girders, and the rays only got to our arms. I've got something you'll be interested in, too, Geo. Just tell me where the hell we are, Urson said. We're in a monastery sacred to Argo, Yimmy told him. It's across the river from the city of New Hope, which is where we were. That name sounds familiar. In the... began Urson. Snake gave him a quick glance, and he stopped, and then frowned. We knew of your presence in the city of New Hope, explained the blind priestess, and we found you by the riverside after you swam across. You managed to cling to life long enough for us to get you back to the monastery and apply what art we could to soothe the burns from the deadly fire. Geo suddenly saw that there was no jewel around Yemi's neck, either. He could almost feel the hands ripping it from his neck in the water. Yemi must have made the same discovery, because his pale hand raised to his own chest. The priestess beckoned and started down another hall, and again they followed. They arrived at an even larger room, this one set with white marble benches and long white tables. This is the main dining room of the monastery, their guide explained. One table has been set up for you. You will not eat with the other priestesses, of course. Why not? asked Yimmy. Surprise flowed across the blind face. You are men, she told them, matter-of-factly. Then she led them to a table where wine, meat, and bowls piled with strange fruit were placed. As they sat down, she disappeared once more. Geo reached for a knife. For a moment, there was silence at the table as the nub of the arm jutted over food. I guess I just have to learn, he said after the pause. Halfway through the meal, Urson said, What about the jewels? Did the priestess take them from you? They came off in the water, said Yimmy. Geo nodded corroboration. Well, now we really have a problem said Urson. Here we are, at a temple of Argos, where we could return the jewels, and maybe even get back to the priestess on the ship, and out of this silly mess, and the jewels are gone. I guess that also means our river friends are working for Hama, said Geo. Well, Yemi said, Hama's got his jewel then, and we're out of the way. Perhaps he delivered us into Argo's hands as a reward for bringing them this far. 
since we would have died anyway, said Geo. I guess he was doing us a favor. And you know what that means, Yimmy said, looking at Snake now. Huh? asked Urson. Then he said, Oh, let the boy speak for himself. All right, forearms, are you or are you not a spy for Hama? A pained expression came over Snake's face, and he shook his head, not in denial, but bewilderment. Suddenly, he got up from the table and ran from the room. Urson looked at the others. Now, don't tell me I hurt his feelings by asking. You didn't, said Yimmy. But I may have. I keep on forgetting that he can read minds. What do you mean? Urson asked. Just when you asked him that, a lot of things came together in my mind that would be pretty vicious for him if any of it were true. Huh? asked Urson. I think I know what you mean, said Geo. I still... It means that he is a spy, explained Yemi, and among other things he was probably lying about the radio back at the city, and that cost Geo his arm. Why the... began Urson, and then looked down the hall where Snake had disappeared. They didn't need much more. When they got up, Urson felt sleepy and was shown back to his room. May I show my friend what you showed me? Yemi asked the priestess when she returned. He is also a student of rituals. Of course you may, smiled the priestess. A door opened and they entered another room similar to the one in which Geo had awakened. As she was about to leave, Yemi asked, what? Can you tell us how to leave the room ourselves? Why would you want to leave? she asked. For exercise, offered Geo, and to observe the working of the monastery. Believe us, we are true students of Argo's religion. Simply press the wall with your hand, level at your waist, and the door will open. But you must not wander about the monastery, writes which are not for your eyes, are being carried out. Not for your eyes, she repeated. Strange, this is a phrase that has never left our language. Suddenly confronted by people who can see, it makes me feel, somehow, she paused. Well, that is how to leave the room. She stepped out, and the door closed behind her. Here, said Yemi. This is what I wanted to show you. On his bed were a pile of books, old but legible. Geo flipped through a few pages. Suddenly, he looked up at Yemi. Hey, what are they doing with printed books? Question number one, said Yemi. Now for question number two. Look here. He reached over Geo's shoulder and hastened him to one page. Why, it's the... began Geo. You're darn right it is, said Yemi. Hymn to the Goddess Argo. Forked in the eye of the bright ash, there the heart of Argo broke, and the hand of the goddess would dash through the head of flame and the smoke. 
burn the grain speck in the hand, and batter the stars with singing, hail the height of a man, and also the height of a woman. The eyes have imprisoned a vision, the ash tree dribbles with blood, thrust from the gates of the prison, smear the yew tree with mud. That must be the full version of the poem I found the missing stanza to, back in the library at Leptar. As I was saying, said Yemi, question number two, what is the relation between the rituals of Hama and the old rituals of Argo? Apparently, this particular branch of the religion of the goddess underwent no purge, and no one at Oitsi Olin was supposed to know about them. I wonder why, Geo asked. That is question number three. How did you get a hold of them? Well, said Yemi, I sort of suspected they might be here, so I just asked for them, and I think I've got some answers to those questions. Fine, go ahead. We'll start from three and go back to one, and then on to two. Nice and orderly, said Yemi. Why wasn't anybody supposed to know about the rituals? Simply because they were so similar to the rituals of Hama. You remember some of the others we found in the abandoned temple? If you don't, you can refresh your memory right here. The two sets of rituals run almost parallel, except for a name changed here, a color switch from black to white, a switch in the vegetative symbolism. I guess what happened was that when Hama's forces invaded Leptar 500 years ago, it didn't take Leptar long to find out the similarity. From the looks of the city of New Hope, I say, I think it's safe to assume that at one time or another, say 500 years ago, Aptos civilization was far higher than Leptar's and probably wouldn't have had too hard a time beating her in an invasion. So when Leptar captured the first jewel and somehow did manage to repel Aptor, the priests of Leptar assumed that the safest way to avoid infiltration by Hama and Aptor again would be to make the rituals of the two as different as possible from the ones of their enemy, Hama. The gills, the bats, they parallel the stories I've heard other sailors tell too closely to be accidents. How many people do you think have been shipwrecked on Aptor and gotten far enough into the place to see what we've seen and then gotten off again to tell about it? I can think of two, said Geo. Huh? said Emmy. Snake and Jordy, answered Geo. Remember that Argo said there had been spies from Aptor before, and Jordy is definitely one, and I guess so is Snake. True enough, said Yemi. I guess that fits into rule number one. He got up from the bed. Come on, let's take a walk. I want to see some sunlight. They went to the wall, Geo pressed it, and a triangular panel slipped back. When they had rounded, four or five turns of hallway, Geo said, I hope you can remember where we've been. I've got a more or less perfect memory for directions, Yemi said. 
Suddenly the passage opened onto steps, and they were looking out upon a huge, unrelieved white chamber. Down a set of thirty marble steps, priestesses filed below them in rows, their heads fixed blindly forward. At the end was a raised dais with a mammoth statue of a kneeling woman, sculptured of the same effulgent agate material. Where do these women come from? whispered Geo. And where do they keep the men? Yemi shrugged. Suddenly, the figure of the blind priestess was beside them. Excuse me, ma'am, Yemi said, sensing her disapproval of their presence. We didn't mean to be disrespectful, but we are creatures who are used to natural day and night. We are used to fresh air, green things. This underground whiteness is oppressive to us and makes us restless. Is there any way that you could show us a way into the open? There is not, returned the blind priestess quietly and motioned them to follow her from the chamber. Besides, night is coming on, and you are not creatures who relish darkness. The night air and the quiet of evening is refreshing to us, countered Yemi. What do you know of the night? answered the priestess, with faint cynicism in her low voice. Now they reached the chapel where the friends had first met after the rescue. What can you tell us about the dark god, Hama? Geo asked. The blind priestess shrugged and sat down on one of the benches. There is little to say. Today he is a fiction. He does not exist. There is only Argo, the one white goddess. But we've heard, Geo began. You were at his abandoned temple, said the priestess. You saw yourselves. That is all that is left of Hama. Ghouls prey on the dust of his dead saints. Perhaps, somewhere behind the burning mountain, a few of his disciples are left. But Hama is dead in Aptor. You have seen the remains of his city, the city of new hope. You have also been the first ones to go in and return in nearly five hundred years. Is that how long the city has been in ruin? asked Geo. It is. What can you tell us about the city? Yimmy said. The priestess sighed again. There was a time, she began, generations ago, when Hama was a high god in Aptor. He had many temples, monasteries, and convents devoted to him. We had few. Except for these religious sanctuaries, the land was barbaric, wild, uninhabitable for the most part. There had once been cities in Aptor, but these had been destroyed even earlier by the Great Fire. All that we had was a fantastic record of an unbelievable time before the reign of flame of tremendous power, vast science, and a towering, though degenerate, civilization. These records were extensive and entirely housed within the monasteries. Outside the monasteries, there was only chaos, where half the children were born dead, and the other half deformed, and with the monstrous races that sprang up over the island now as a reminder to us. 
we declared that the magic contained in these chronicles was evil and must never be released to the world again but the priests of hama decided to use the information in these chronicles spread it to the people and declared they would not commit the same mistakes that had brought the great fire they opened the books and the city of new hope grew on the far shore of the river they made giant machines that flew through the air they constructed immense boats which could sink into the sea and emerge hundreds of miles away in another harbor in another land they even harnessed for beneficial use the fire metal uranium which had brought such terror to the world before and had brought down the flames but they made the same mistake as the people before the great fire made suggested yemi not exactly said the priestess that is they were not so stupid as to misuse the fire metal which ravaged the world so harshly before history is cyclic not repetitive a new power was discovered that dwarfed the significance of the fire metal it could do all that the fire metal could do and more efficiently destroy cities or warm chilly huts in winter but it could also work on men's minds they say that before the great fire men wandered the streets of the cities terrified that flames would descend on them any moment and destroy them they panicked bought flimsy useless contraptions to guard themselves from the fire geo yemi have you any idea how terrifying it would be to know that while walking the streets at any moment your mind might be snatched from you raped violated and left broken in your own skull only three of these instruments were constructed but the moment their existence was made known by a few fantastic demonstrations the city of new hope began to swerve down the arc of its own self-destruction it lasted for a year and ended with the broken wreck you escaped from last night during that year invasions were launched on the backward nations across the sea with whom months before there had been friendly trade civil wars broke out and internal struggles caused the invasions to fall back to the homeland the instruments were hopelessly lost but not before the bird machines had even dropped bombs on the city of new hope itself the house of the fire metal was broken open to release its death once more for a hundred years after the end say our records the city flamed with light from the destroyed powerhouse during the first hundred years more and more of our number were born blind because of the sinking fire in the city at last we moved underground but it was too late she rose from her seat and so you see hama destroyed himself today loyal to argo are all the beasts of the air of the land and of the water what about the three instruments geo asked what happened to them the blind priestess turned to him your guess she said smiling is as good as mine
she turned again and glided softly from the room. When she left, Yemi said, Something is fishy. But what is it? said Gio. Well, for one thing, said Yemi, we know there is a hammer. From this dream, I would say that it's just about the size and organization of this place. Just how big is this place anyway? Gio asked. Want to do some more exploring? Sure, he answered. Do you think she does know about Hama, but was just pretending? Could be, said Yemi. They started off down another corridor. That bit about going into men's minds with the jewels, Yemi went on. It gives me the creeps. It's a creepy thing to watch, said Gio. Argo used it on Snape the first time we saw her. It just turns you into an automaton. Then it really is our jewels she was talking about. Stairs cut a white tunnel into the wall before them, and they mounted upward, coming finally to another corridor. They turned down it, and for the first time saw recognizable doors in the wall. Hey, said Yimmy, maybe one of these goes outside. Fine, said Gio. This place is beginning to get to me. He pushed open a door and stepped in. Except for the flowing white walls, it duplicated in miniature the basement of the new Edison building. Twin dynamos whirred, and the walls were laced with pipes. Nothing in here, said Yemi. They tried a door across the hall now. In this one sat a white porcelain table and floor-to-ceiling cases of glittering instruments. I'll bet this is the room your arm came off in, Yimmy said. Probably, replied Gio. They came out and continued even farther. In the next room, the glow was dimmer, and there was dust on the walls. Yimmy ran his finger over it and looked at the gray crescent left on the bleached flesh. Two huge screens leaned out from the face of a metal machine. A few dials and a glass meter hung beneath each two-yard rounded rectangle of opaque glass. In front of each was a stand, which held something like a set of binoculars and what looked like a pair of earmuffs. I bet this place hasn't been used since before these girls went blind, said Gio. It looks it, Yimmy said. He stepped up to one of the screens, the one with the fewer dials on it, and turned the switch. What did you do that for? Gio asked. Why not? said Yimmy. Suddenly, a flickering of colored lights ran over the screen, swellings of blue, green, shiny scarlets. They blinked. That's the first color I've seen since I've been here, Yimmy said. The colors grayed, dimmed, congealed into forms, and in a moment they were looking at a bare white room in which stood two barefoot young men. One was a dark negro with pale hands. The other had an unruly shock of black hair and only one arm. Hi, hey, gestured Yimmy, and the figure on the screen gestured too. That's us! He walked forward, and the corresponding figure advanced on the screen. He flicked a dial, 
and the figures exploded into colors and then focused again. "'What's that?' asked Yimmy. In a room stood three of the blind women. On one wall was a smaller screen similar to the one in their own room. The women, of course, were oblivious to the picture on it, but it was the picture on the screen that had stopped Geo. It was a face, a man's face. One of the women had on an earmuff apparatus and was talking into a small metal rod which she carried with her as she paced. But the picture, don't you recognize him? demanded Geo. It's Jordy, exclaimed Yemi. They must have gotten in contact with our ship and are arranging to send us back. I wish I could hear what they're saying, said Geo. Yemi looked around and then picked up the metal earmuffs from the stand in front of the screen. That's what she seems to be listening through, said Yemi, referring to the priestess in the picture. Try them. Go on. He helped Geo fit them over his ears. Hear anything? Geo listened. Yes, of course, the priestess was saying. She has set out upon staying in the harbor for three more days, to wait out the week, reported Geordie. I am sure she will not remain any longer. She is still bewildered by me, and the men have become uneasy and may well mutiny if she stays longer. We will dispose of the prisoners this evening. There is no chance of their returning, stated the priestess. Detain them for three days, and I do not care what you do with them said Jordy. She does not have the jewels. She does not know my, our, power. She will be sure to leave at the end of the week. It's a pity we have no jewels for all our trouble, said the priestess, but at least all three are back in Aptor, and potentially within our grasp. Jordy laughed. <laughs> and Hama never seems to be able to keep hold of them, for more than ten minutes before they slip from him again. Yours is not to judge either Hama or Argo, stated the priestess. You are kept on by us only to do your job. Do it, report, and do not trouble either us or yourself with opinions. They are not appreciated. Yes, mistress, returned Jordy. Then farewell until next report. She flipped a switch, and the picture in the little screen went gray. Geo turned from the big screen now, and was just about to remove the hearing apparatus when he heard the priestess say, Go, prepare the prisoners for the sacrifice of the rising moon. They have seen enough. The woman left the room. Geo finished removing the phones, and Yemi looked at him. What's the matter? Geo turned the switch that darkened the screen. When are they coming to get us? Yimmy asked excitedly. Right now, probably, Geo said. Then, as best he could, he repeated the conversation he had overheard to Yimmy, whose expression grew more and more bewildered as Geo went on. At the end, the bewilderment suddenly flared into frayed indignation. Why? demanded Yimmy. Why should we be sacrificed? What is it we've seen too much of? What is it we know? This is the second time it's come close to getting me killed. 
and I wish to hell I knew what I was supposed to know. We've got to find Urson and get out of here, said Geo. Hey, what's wrong? The indignation had turned into something else. Now Yimmy stood with his eyes shut tight and his face screwed up. Suddenly he relaxed. I just thought out a message as loud as I could for Snipe to get up here and to bring Urson if he's anywhere around. But Snake's a spy for... For Hammer, said Yimmy, and he knows something I don't care. He closed his eyes again. After a few moments, he opened them. Well, if he's coming, he's coming. Let's get going. But why? began Geo, following Yimmy out the door. Because I have a poet's feeling that some fancy mind-reading may come in handy. They hurried down the hall, found the stairs, ducked down, and ran along the lower hall. Rounding a second corner, they emerged into the little chapel simultaneously with Urson and Snake. I guess I got through, said Yimmy. Which way do we go? Gentlemen, gentlemen, came a voice from behind them. Snake took off down one of the passages, and they followed. Urson, looking particularly bewildered. The priestess glided behind them, calling softly, Please, my friends, come back. Return with me. Find out from her how the hell to get out of this place, Jimmy bawled up to Snake. The four-armed boy suddenly darted up a flight of stairs, turned a corner, and darted up another. They came out on a hall and followed Snake to the end. All four of the boy's hands flew at the door handle, turning it carefully this way and back. Two, three seconds. Geo glanced back and saw the priestess mount the top of the stairs and begin to come forward to them. She seemed to float, her white robes flaring out from her, brushing at the walls. The door came open. They broke through leaves and were momentarily standing in a huge field of grass, surrounded by woods. The night was fully lit by the moon. As they ran through the silver-washed grass, Geo turned to look behind him. The blind priestess had slowed. Her white face turned to the moon. Her hands went to her throat. She unclasped her robe, and the first layer fell away behind her. As she came on, the second layer began to unfold, wet, deathly white, spreading, growing to her arms, articulating itself along the white spines. Then, with a horribly familiar shriek, she leapt from the ground and soared upward, her white wings hammering the air. They fled. And other dark forms were shadowing the moon. The priestesses across the field joined her aloft in the moon-bleached sky. She overtook the running figures, turned above them, and swooped. The moon lanced white along bared fangs. The night breeze touched pale, furry breasts, filled the bellying wings. Only the tiny, darting, blind eyes were red, rubied in a whirl of white. They crashed into the protective bushes where the winged things could not follow. Branches raked his face as he ran behind the sound the others made. 
Once he thought he had lost them, but a second later he bumped against Yimmy, who had stopped behind Snake and Urson in the darkness. Above the trees was a sound like beaten cloth, diminishing, growing, but constant as once more they began to trod through the tangled darkness. What the hell? Yimmy finally breathed softly after a minute of walking. You know, it's beginning to make sense, Geo said, his hand on Yimmy's shoulder. Remember that man-wolf we met, and that blob in the city? The only thing we've met on this place that can't change shape is the ghouls. I think most animals on this island undergo some sort of metamorphosis. What about those first flying things we met? whispered Urson. They didn't change into anything. We have probably just been guests of the female of the species, said Geo. You mean those others could have changed into men, too, if they wanted? Urson asked. If they wanted, answered Geo. In front of them now appeared faint shiftings of silver light. Five minutes later, they were crouching at the edge of the forest, looking down over the rocks at the white shimmerings over the river. Into the water? Geo asked. Snake shook his head. Wait, came the familiar sound in their heads. Suddenly, a hand raised from the water. Wet and green, it stood a foot or so from the shore in the silver ripples. The chain and the leather thong dangled down the wrist, and swaying there were two bright beads of light. Yimmy and Geo froze. Urson said, The jewels. Suddenly, crouched low like an animal, the big man sprang onto the rocks and ran toward the river's edge. Three shadows, one white, two dark, converged above him, cutting the moonlight away from him. If he saw them, he did not stop. Yemi and Geo stood up from their crouched positions. Urson reached the shore, threw himself along the rock, and swiped at the hand. Instantly, he was covered by flailing wings. The membranous sails splashed in the water. Two seconds later, Urson rolled from beneath the layers of membrane that still struggled half on land and half in the water. He started forward up the rocks. He slipped, regained his footing, and then came on, nearly falling into Geo's and Yeme's waiting arms. The jewels, Urson breathed. The struggle continued a minute longer on the water. Something was holding them down, twisting at them. Then, suddenly, the creatures stilled, and like great leaves, the three forms drifted apart, caught quietly in the current, and floated away from the rocks. Then two more forms bobbed to the surface, faces down, rocking gently, backs slicked, wet and green, shiny under the moonlight. But those were the ones who... Geo began. Are they dead? His face suddenly hurt a little, with something like the pain of virgin tears. Snake nodded. Are you sure? asked Yimmy. His voice came slowly. Their thoughts have stopped, Snake said. Crouched down in front of them, Urson 
open his great hands. The globes blazed even in the dim light through the leaves, and the chain and the wet thong hung over his palm to the ground. I have them, he said. The jewels. End of chapter 8